Good to see you all this morning. Uh, okay, the uh, show Friends first aired in September of 1994, and the last show happened in May 2004, completing 10 seasons with 236 episodes. I feel like I'm booming a little bit, maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm booming. Thank you, Jen. Uh, 10 seasons, 236 episodes. If you want to stream them all, which you can, <laughs> each episode's about 22 minutes, blissfully commercial-free now. So it would take you about 86.5 hours, or about 12 hours a day for seven days. A week-long vacation spent appreciating Joey's cluelessness and Phoebe's Amelia Bedelia routine. The show had a huge audience. Uh, it had great characters, all with charming little quirks. It was set in buzzing, hip NYC. And of course, it had the endless romantic will-they-won't-they they? scenarios playing out over 10 seasons. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but underneath all of that was this profound sense of belonging and friendship. It's in the name, friends. This was a group of people who, no matter what, had each other's backs. They were there for each other. They belonged together to one another. There were no lines drawn about who was in, who was out, who was righteous, who was a sinner. It was just them. The safety of belonging, the safety of closeness in this group was amazing. And this is one of the characteristics of virtually every comedy show, taking for granted a sense of belonging and safety. Even comedies that center on families often have other people who are grafted into the circle of belonging within that family. It's absolutely secure. Everyone belongs to each other. And here are some other examples of this belonging from other comedies. This will be fun. Cheers! The Golden Girls, right on, Seinfeld, The Good Place. This is a fun one because belonging is sort of one of the major tensions of the whole show, even while the people are committed to each other. Pretty cool. Uh, Blackish, Big Bang Theory, all right, Kim's Convenience, New Girl, and Schitt's Creek. Hey. Check out the dollar sign at the end there. They stole my idea. It's from a few teachings ago. Um, anyway, I bring all this up because this week, the Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy, released a formal advisory on loneliness. Loneliness, evidently, has been increasing in the United States, and the statistics are pretty alarming. So one Harvard study from October 2020 showed that 36% of all Americans reported feeling serious loneliness, 36%. Now, this was the height of the COVID pandemic when schools and workplaces were on Zoom, a lot of them were online, and then social distancing was the norm. So, you know, major peak crisis moment here. This same study showed that 61% of young adults were feeling serious loneliness, and then 51% of all mothers with young children felt serious loneliness. This is incredible. Now, again, this is October 2020, height of the pandemic. Things have changed since then. We've gone back to, quote-unquote, normal. But a 
lot of the habits and practices that people picked up during the, during the pandemic have remained. And some of the disconnection that, people, that happened during the pandemic has also remained. So the statistics are pretty alarming still, which was why the Surgeon General released this, what he called an advisory. Now, a big concern with loneliness is all of the adverse health impacts uh, related to it. So here are some of them. Uh, there's increased stress related to loneliness, alcohol and drug misuse, Alzheimer's disease progression happens more quickly, cardiovascular disease and stroke increase, there's decreased memory and learning, and finally there's depression and self-harm. This has all been documented through, documented through scientific studies on loneliness. So this is a major, major social concern. And this morning, I want us to consider how does faith speak to this problem of loneliness for people uh, individually and people collectively. And what we're going to see in this story today is that Jesus' cure for loneliness is not that dissimilar to the kind of belonging that we see in Friends, the show, and in other comedy shows like it. This deep, secure sense of belonging. Okay, a few quick things before we get to the story. Um, number one, I'm not going to get into great detail about how to address uh, loneliness. So if you have any concerns for yourself or loved ones or your children especially, uh, there are tons of resources available on loneliness, some really good tips and strategies, including hhs.gov, where you can see this advisory, this report. But honestly, there, there are so many resources. So take seriously, if you're having that experience or you know other folks are, look up some resources this week, because uh, again, we won't have time to go into it today. Uh, secondly, there's a difference between being alone and Loneliness, right? Not the same thing. Um, I personally love people. I also really love not being with people. One of my favorite things. Um, so being alone, you know, it's, and everybody's different. There's kind of a normal range of what people uh, like about being alone. Um, so when we talk about loneliness, what we're talking about is the painful experience of disconnection when social connection is needed or desired. That's what we're talking about. So it's not just about being alone. It's being lonely. Okay, and finally, I want to frame this whole discussion with a crucial moment from the Bible. Okay, so in Genesis chapter 2, in the second creation story, God creates the first human being, singular human, and places that human in, in the Garden of Eden, and everything's great, but it's not. There's trouble in paradise with this first human, because God says this, it is not good for the human to be alone. God's solution to the problem of human loneliness is not to say to the human, human, I'm enough for you. I can satisfy all your needs. Just trust in me. Trust in God. God is sufficient. I am sufficient for all human need. No. Instead, God creates another human. And we then have the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and on we go from there. So the solution, for better and for worse, to human loneliness is other people. I know it's good and terrible news, but we got to figure this out amongst ourselves, okay? How are we going to create belonging, create the cure for loneliness? 
Obviously, God has a role. Jesus has a role. We'll see that. But it really comes down to people. All right? So, with that as a backdrop, let's look at one story from the life of Jesus, where loneliness plays an important role in what happens. And we'll see that. This happens early on in Jesus' ministry. Uh, It happens in Luke chapter 5. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their lawyers were complaining to his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink? With tax collectors and sinners. Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, well, we're gonna get to that last line in a bit, but let's focus on the main thing happening here. It's a party. It is a raucous, roaring party party. Levi is a man of some means. He's got some money, and he's going to throw a rager, okay? And the reason he has money, by the way, is because he is in the disreputable but lucrative career as a tax collector. So he's going to use that wealth, use that money, and throw an awesome, awesome party. There is a great crowd gathered at this party, which means no one's checking the door. There are no bouncers at this party. No one to make sure who got an invite, who didn't. Even the lawyers get in. That's how we know. It's a big party. Now, I'm joking, of course. Now, I love lawyers. Got two in my family. Um, The Pharisees and their lawyers, or scribes, as they're called in other translations, you'll see the word scribes come up, Um, they have kind of a bad rap in the New Testament. But they, at the time, were really popular religious leaders. And Jesus and the Pharisees, we see them butt heads at times and get into little tiffs and arguments because they see things differently. But when we look at the full spectrum of political religious life in that time, they're really, really close together. It's a little bit like a primary, okay, when you see, like, the Democrats or Republicans arguing with themselves, calling each other names, when they're actually really close and are allies and, like, everything, you know? So that's what's happening between Jesus and the Pharisees. They're very, very close, okay? And so we get this kind of back and forth. We need a foil for what Jesus is about, um, but they were widely, widely respected. Now, there's a raging party happening. And this is where we see this massive transformation in the person of Levi. At the beginning of the story, picture it. There's Levi in his little tax booth, all alone on the side of the road. Now, he's alone, maybe not lonely, but definitely alone. But no one is approaching Levi. No one's coming up to Levi and is like, yo, Levi, what's good, bro? No chatty, kind conversation. Because every conversation with Levi is unpleasant. It ends with you giving him your money, which he in turn hands a little bit to the Roman Empire, the evil empire, the Roman occupiers. 
So no one wants to talk to Levi. And along comes Jesus, though, and says to Levi, follow me. By which Jesus means he's inviting Levi to enroll in Jesus' school. Jesus is a rabbi. He is recruiting people to his school to be students, disciples in his school. And Jesus is both teacher and the subject. And he's hoping that his disciples will pick up everything about him, that they in turn will go on and pass on and embody the ethic of Jesus. Levi accepts the invitation and immediately throws a rager, (laughs) throws a party. Okay, now this is a, a very fitting start to being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Jesus evidently loves parties. He's at them all the time. Uh, His first miracle in another book of the Bible, in the book of John, happens at a party at the wedding of Cana, where he turns hundreds of gallons of water into wine to keep the party going. Okay, parties are Jesus's thing. And Levi, he gets it right away and throws a party. So here's Jesus at this party. Crowds of people. Everybody's there. There's good food. There's good music, good vibes. The possibility for thriving human connection and belonging. This is Jesus' cure for loneliness. Enacted right here. But then, we have the Pharisees and their lawyers who think that some people don't belong there. And they err their judgment. Major party foul, vibe killer. And this demonstrates one of the key contributing factors to human loneliness, which is the judgment of not belonging. When we experience the judgment of not belonging, we experience that as a fundamental evaluation of our worth. We feel it deeply inside. And then the insecurity and the self-doubt inside of us kicks in. Am I worthy? Am I worthy of love, of connection, of anything? The self-doubt leads us to want to protect ourselves and withdraw. And then that reinforces the judgment that we don't belong. Jesus hears the vibe killer judgment and addresses it. And this is where we get the line that he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. (sighs) Okay, now we have to remember, when Jesus says this line, he is at a loud, raucous party. Okay, he is reclining at a table with friends. It's crazy. There's a huge crowd. Think hundreds of people, music, dancing. It's a party. And he's leaning back. He's got his glass full of wine. And he's like, I've only come for the sinners. (laughs) And everybody at the party is like, yeah, cheers. Okay, that's the kind of thing that's happening in this moment. That's the tone. 
It is not a serious, sober moment where everyone's wringing their hands. Let's all admit we're sinners first, and then we can get along in the party, have our nice little thing. No, this is Jesus just completely trashing on the category and the judgment that the folks have just made. The comedy of the moment, I think, takes the sting out of the judgment. And it also calls into question the very validity of the judgment itself. Who's really a sinner? Who is it? Well, we all are. Okay. So, you know, Jesus has now set up one single category of participant in life, which is human being. Sinner, human being, take your pick. It doesn't matter. The judgment now also depends on not the third-party person who levels the judgment at others, but the internal, interior self-evaluation of each person. Do I belong? Am I here? Am I okay? So it's with a wink and a nod that Jesus even uses the word sinner at all. He doesn't even mean it. He's just using their term against them to disrupt, to dismantle, to overthrow the judgment of not belonging. The effect of this announcement is that it silences those making the judgment. Okay? They, they either, they, and the Pharisees now have two choices. They can, either one, admit that they are also sinners and stay and enjoy the party. Or they can continue in sort of this smug, arrogant, self-satisfying, self-righteous tone, look down at everybody else, and kindly see themselves out the door. Because the rest of us are partying. We're reclining at the table, our glasses are full of wine, and we belong here. We belong here. This is Jesus' cure for loneliness. It's a party. It's a gathering. It's humans connecting with other humans without judgment, full of joy and good food and plenty of wine. There's no threat of expulsion, no threat of not belonging. This is what we aspire to create here at Sanctuary. We want to embody and extend Jesus' invitation of belonging in everything we do. We want Sunday morning to feel like that, that there's no threat of not belonging. That's what we aspire to every Sunday. That's what we hope to make here. We throw dance parties where we hope that Yay! I heard it was good. <laughs> Dance parties, there's no threat of not belonging. You belong. The same belonging that those comedy shows take for granted, right? Week in, week out, they belong together, we belong here. That is the kind of belonging we hope to cultivate here. Now, obviously, real life, a lot more complicated than friends, episodes. But that just means that it's more important for us to nurture spaces of judgment-free belonging. 
Uh, this semester, I've had a privilege of hosting a small group that I've called Desserts and Stories, where we eat dessert and tell stories. <laughs> it's been awesome. And um, we get together once a month, and that's exactly what we do. At our last one, uh, one member of our group is a professional baker who made us cinnamon rolls. And it's really an insult to all other cinnamon rolls to call them cinnamon rolls. Or wait, you know what I mean. Because they were so good, like astonishingly good. We took turns warming up in the microwave um, out there in the foyer. And like the whole church smelled like cinnamon, warm, good. Oh my gosh. It was like I could, I could barely focus on anything else, conversation. I, didn't, I couldn't hear any of you were at the group. I apologize. I did not hear what you were saying while I was eating the cinnamon roll. Like that was it. Okay, but then uh, we got to the stories. I always send a prompt ahead of time to give people a chance to prepare what we're going to share about. The prompt this time was, share about a difficulty or a challenge that you've gone through in the past or maybe currently going through. Um, how are you faring in that challenge or fared? And then what role did faith play in how you met that challenge? And we were on the circle taking turns, and people were sharing incredibly vulnerable stuff. One person shared about a significant conflict with her parents and coming to terms with her parents' lack of acceptance about who she is and the life choices that she's making, which are good life choices and which are hers to make, but her parents cannot honor either. And it was hard, I mean, just really, really hard to hear, but we're there, we're supporting her. Another person shared about the loss of a beloved pet and by the time they were done sharing, like, we're all in tears. We've fallen in love with the pet. And, you know, we're just there with that person in their grief and loss. Another person shared about some current difficulties in parenting and how it was stirring up some of her own unhealed wounds from her own childhood. And, like, every parent in the group was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so real. So real. We were laughing, we were crying, it was belonging. Jesus' cure for loneliness. And I just felt so, so grateful. A few days after the group, I was talking to one person who was there, and they told me something really remarkable, that they had come to the group, they had arrived there, thinking that they were going to share about one thing. But then as they watched people share, going around the circle, the level of vulnerability that people were engaged in, they knew that they needed to adjust what they had, shared, what they had prepared because it wasn't matching the level of depth or vulnerability. And they felt compelled to match it and felt the freedom and the sense of safety in the room that they could share about something more real and vulnerable that was going on for them. It said tons about the safety and belonging in the group. This is the kind of belonging that Jesus invites us to nurture. Not just here at Sanctuary, but everywhere we go. As we follow Jesus, we are invited to create safety and belonging wherever we go, to be like Levi, to throw parties to create opportunities of belonging. And when we see people judging others in harmful ways, we kindly show them the door. 
They've excluded themselves by their own judgment. As we are formed by Jesus' ethic of belonging, we can do this in hundreds of different ways, right? We can take a moment with a stranger who's struggling. We can stop and listen to a coworker who really needs someone to hear what's happening. We can resist and protest legislation from the state of Iowa that threatens transgender Iowans' sense of safety and belonging because we know that such hateful legislation contradicts the ethics of Jesus. And with a wink and a nod like Jesus, we can raise a glass at the party and boldly proclaim, we've only come for the sinners. Ha ha ha!